This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are here in Spooktober. It's still with us. We're winding down. It's waning. The dog days of Spooktober. Woof, woof. The wear dog days of Spooktober are coming to a close. This week, Andrew, what did you read? I read this book called Hell House by Richard Matheson. Okay, that sounds good. I want to hear about that. But first, I want to know what you're dressing as for Halloween. Oh, boy. I do not have plans to dress up for Halloween this year. Oh dang. Is that a funny answer? So scary. <laughs> All the kids coming to your door just go, oh, no, it's Andrew. The real spook is like lack of planning in this scenario. Though we do, we have candy for kids. Kids who come. <laughs> To ask for us for for candy. Sure, that's usually who you have the candy for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to some be. Something's probably going to be for us, honestly. Though. Well, that's usually how it goes. Some for kids, some for adults. I am going to be. Um, which one's the moose? Bullwinkle. Laura made her Rocky costume. <laughs> she like made her own tail and knitted her own hat. It's okay. So dope. what if what if you were. Rocky Balboa and Bullwinkle. That would be a funny costume. That would be pretty good. That'd be pretty that would be good. a really good costume. Perfect uh, costume. Yeah, especially if my Bullwinkle costume had like a bull moose party like vibe to it. That'd be cool, right? Because yeah, it's like a those, couple jokes at once. While we yeah, like, those things had a lot to do. <laughs> do I think couples <laughs> costumes that reference five different things are usually pretty effective. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, and that way, if you guys get split up, then then you're not just a moose. You also have your own self-contained yeah. thing. That's, I mean, that's just like marriage 101. Am I right? Like, yeah, you're not, right. you know, you can't just be identified by your partner. Mm-hmm. Got to be your own moose. So, speaking of books that have some really strange opinions about women, <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, that's what Hell Rocky House. and Bullwinkle's known for. Tell me, tell me more about Richard Matheson, who wrote this book, Heck House. Sure. Um, well, yeah, we're going to interchangeably probably refer to it as Heck House because it's fun to say. Um, and because Mr- we don't, with last week there were some cussings on the podcast, and I just, we, we're family friendly. Yeah, okay. Though, again, this is going to involve some some conversations about sexual assault and a lot of violence, so... Yeah, there's your there's your warning for that stuff. It's, it's another yeah, one of those another books. humdinger. Um, Mr. Matheson was born in 1926 in the Garden State, New Jersey. Uh, he died in 2013 in California. He was married. He had four kids. He wrote some stories under the pen name Logan Swanson, which is pretty good. He sold me car insurance once, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he is best, perhaps best known for his 1954 novel, I Am Legend. Um, the Will Smith book. Yes. It was adapted to various film movies starring Vincent Price, Charlton Heston, Will Smith, um, at least one other version. Um, oh, I thought I was imagining a movie that had all those folks in it at one time, <laughs> which would have been pretty wild. Uh, and he wrote at least one of those adaptations under the name Logan Swanson. Uh, Masson was, as I said, born in New Jersey. He did move to New York as a kid after his parents split up. He published his first short story at the age of eight in the Brooklyn Eagle, a neighborhood newspaper. <laughs> rip in peace. Go um, Eagles. He did serve in World War II before coming back and getting his journalism degree, I think, in Missouri, and then moved out west to find fame and fortune. So he's been all over the place. Sci-fi writing, it seems. Um, Mm -hmm. 
he got to start publishing stories in the 50s uh thanks to like they were like monthly like the magazine of fantasy and sci-fi and galaxy science fiction and all, all those kind of things that have cropped up with a lot of these authors we've covered before um he had an anthology published in 1954 he was part of a group andrew called the southern california sorcerers <laughs> which my favorite basketball team uh was a west coast like writers group uh, many of these folks wrote on like twilight zone and had a bunch of different um like stories published in anthologies and stuff and there was just kind of this collection of, of west coast sci-fi fantasy guys sure um his first novel was the 1953 book Someone is Bleeding, which I know nothing about other than its amazing title. Uh, he did write a book about World War II called The Beardless Warriors. Um, and then... It's my other favorite basketball yeah. team. <laughs> and got into like TV and film. So he wrote some screen adaptations of Poe stories starring Vincent Price. Uh, he wrote over a dozen Twilight Zone scripts, including uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Andrew. Oh, with, is that the man on the wing of the plane one? Yeah, with um, William Shatner. With old Bill Billy, Shatner. Billy yeah. Shatner. Cool. Um, he also wrote a Twilight Zone episode called Steel about a robot boxer, which is apparently the inspiration for the movie Real Steel, starring Hugh Jackman. I have never heard of this which movie I in thought, my entire life. I thought was more of a Rock'em Sock'em robot riff, but I was wrong. Um, and he wrote uh, an OG Star Trek episode called The Enemy Within, Andrew. Which one's that? Oh, which one is The Enemy Within? Hold on. I need to look it up, but I'll know instantly <laughs> as soon as I see okay. anything about the... It. I mean, William Shatner's involved, so that's a gimme, right? Right. Uh, just memory Alpha, Enemy Within. Oof. Oh, this is the one where um, a transporter accident splits Captain Kirk into two different people. One is nice but very indecisive and one is decisive but very mean and kind of evil <laughs> sure and they both realize eventually that they'll die if they don't get back together even though they both sort of resent each other but but he needs both of those sides of himself craig to be an effective starship captain that seems reasonable that's everything mm -hmm. i know about leadership also in that episode <laughs> the first thing that gets transporter accidented is supposed to be like this alien dog, but it's just a regular dog with like a horn on it. Oh my god! It's such a good effect. I should really watch OG Star Trek. I think I would appreciate. I can come up with like a list of episodes if you're really interested the, in it. The but, wonky yeah. production of it all. Um, so yeah, then Matheson kind of spent. He was most active, you know, 60s and 70s in terms of where I think his biggest, like legacy lies he did mm -hmm. keep writing novels and and writing a lot of scripts and things um he ended up getting lifetime achievement awards from like the world fantasy awards and bram stoker awards uh and when he passed uh stephen king wrote like a little note about it he said he fired my imagination by placing his horrors not in european castles and lovecraftian universes but in american scenes i knew and i could relate to i want to do that i thought i must do that matheson showed the way um, I feel like Stephen King has showed up a lot this month, just giving everybody kudos every time they yeah, do anything. He's a big fan and of the show. I do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Homer becomes a food critic and he gives everything like 11 thumbs up? <laughs> sure. That's kind of Stephen King reading horror fiction. He's just excited that people are are like doing it. Inspiring right? and being inspired by him. Yes. Like, he is at the nexus Stephen of all King. of it. How yeah, can I insert right. myself into this narrative is Stephen mm -hmm. King's eternal question. I can give him a quote, and I can get listed on the book, and in some editions, my name will appear in bigger font higher up than the <laughs> author's name. Um, on, like, what Matheson's style was, I know he wrote, like, some Western books, but on his sci-fi fantasy stuff... Um, he referred to it as like offbeat fiction. Like he just knew he was operating in a couple different genres in the like death announcement article that NPR ran. They found a quote from him talking to cinema spy about what he was up to. He said, I think we're yearning for something beyond the everyday. And I will tell you, I don't believe in the supernatural. I believe in the supernormal. To me, there is nothing that goes against <laughs> nature. If it seems incomprehensible, it's only because we haven't been able to understand it yet. 
Okay, so that's that's interesting because it does dovetail with some stuff that Heck House is doing. Sure, sure. Vis-a-vis making sure everything is adequately explained at every step of the process. That seems crucial. That seems crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, the book uh, was published in 1971. It was made into a film in 73 called The Legend of Hell House, which I think he wrote the screenplay for. And it what if w- he could do a mashup called I Am Legend of Hell House? Hey, you get that. You open that Final Cut software. You get to work, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, I think it was also made into a comic miniseries in 2004. Um, and kind of what I could... It, it didn't seem to have the, the long tail impact that something like um, Haunting of Hill House has had, which came out, I think, 12 or 13 years earlier. Um so we'll probably end up talking about that later this episode, I think. We read that two years yeah, ago. People have, so, so when I was reading, when I was looking around for reviews of this, a lot of what I found was like indie blogs, which is kind of interesting because I got a good mix of opinions from, from different writers yeah, that you don't sure. always get from like an NYT review or something. But um, but um, man, what was I talking about? <laughs> You're talking about it relating to uh, Haunting of Hill House. Oh, right, right, right. And so, so people were reading it and kind of comparing it to other horror stuff. And the impression that I got from from them, and you're the one who read Hill House for the show yes. a couple years mm-hmm. ago, a couple Spooktobers ago, I think. So I don't have a direct point of comparison, but it's sort of a more actiony, hornier version of Hill House. <laughs> Insofar as it's a haunted house story, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I was re-listening to our Hill House. Set up in New England somewhere. I was re-listening to our Hill House episode. Um, was it good? Yeah, it was pretty good. We talked about coins and numismatics. Ooh, for numis- like, numismatists. For like I was just thinking about that word the other no, day. No, you got to be careful. We're just going to talk about it for three minutes again. Um, also, lepid- lepidopterists, which is butterflies. Those are the two ists that I sure. know that are um, obscure and weird. And the Hill House thing is of a piece with something like Turn of the Screw, where like there's a lot of terror because you don't know what's going on, and the characters don't know what's going on, and maybe there's ghosts, but maybe it's just like a psychic causing damage on a house and it's really about how all the characters emotions are like out of control Mm -hmm. um i'd be interested to get some notes from any of our listeners who are watching the hill house series i have not watched it yet the haunting hill house on netflix um people seem to be responding uh very strongly to it whether or not they like it so i'd be interested to find out what people say there um so yeah we'll probably probably talk about the line between hill house and hell house it's not just a letter. <laughs> yep, that's, you got that right. Uh, do you want to take a quick break and then we'll, we'll come on back? Boy, yeah, I'm parched. Let's go. Andrew, you love learning, right? I love learning. Well, then I will love to tell you about The Great Courses Plus. It is a fantastic way to learn about everything that interests you. Everything and anything. So there are thousands of lectures to explore on The Great Courses Plus, uh, things from literature, history, human behavior, even stuff on like how to become a stronger writer or learn to draw. And you can watch them. weights. Oh, a stronger writer. Sorry. Okay. You can watch them on your computer. You can listen along in The Great Courses app, uh, Great Courses Plus app. Um, and this week we want to recommend checking out The Great Courses Plus Great Utopian and Dystopian Works of Literature. Uh, it's kind of cool. Dr. Pamela uh, Bador talked about some of the stories we actually have covered for the show. Um, Ursula K. Le Guin's like, Walk Away from Omelas, um, a couple other books uh, mentioned Octavia Butler. But I was kind of... One thing, do you know, Andrew, that Utopia is like a homonym or a homophone? It means nowhere... But if you put E in front of it, there's another word which means perfect place. So oh yeah, I did, I did. Know so about Thomas More is really clever because he because mm-hmm. he kind of conflated the two definitions. Yeah, um, no, that's cool. It is pretty cool, and it's a cool fact. Yeah, and at the end of the even the first lecture in the series, there's like a nice little tangent on like using genre to understand utopia, dystopia, and then later in the series, um, they talk about like why dystopia is so prevalent and why a fiction so it's pretty cool if that's a thing you're interested in um you might want to go check that out and the way to do that the way to get a full month of unlimited access to the great courses plus for free is to go to the great courses overdue 
Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash overdue for a full month of unlimited access to this course and many, many more uh, on thegreatcoursesplus.com. So you talked about how to make your brain better. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you about how to make your feet better. Bomba socks. These are, I am told by a reputable source, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Bombas has totally re-engineered socks with comfort innovations that add up to one way more comfortable pair of socks. Yeah. Two years of research and development led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort. So they got that arch support system. They got a cushioned footbed. They got Stay Up technology, which is what I call it when I'm up till 3 a.m. without meaning to again. Um, they've got a seamless toe. They got rid of that annoying bump on your toes. Just wiggle your toes around and you'll feel the difference. And super soft cotton that you'll never want to take off. Um, they will also donate one pair to somebody for every pair of socks that they sell to you. So you should buy some socks because you are getting someone else free socks. To date, they have sold and donated over 9 million pairs. And so, yeah, we've been wearing these socks for a while. For a few weeks now, they sent up some pairs, and they seriously have gone up to the top of my favorite sock list. They're pretty They're comfy. very comfortable, especially the weather gets a little bit colder. Yeah. They've got some, like, calf height socks. Some warm are socks very are good. very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Craig, you, you've been wearing these socks. Tell me what these socks feel like using fun, colorful language. They feel like a new book smells. Ooh, I think they feel like successfully spending a week in a haunted house without getting killed. <laughs> also good. Also good. So if you want to get these socks, you can get 20% off of your first order by going to bombas.com. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash overdue. Bombas.com slash overdue. You get 20% off your first order. Again, that's bombas.com slash overdue. And use the code overdue when you check out. Get some socks. They're pretty good. So, Heck House, do you want to talk about some haunted house tropes? That's, I got some for you. Hit me, hit me. An uh, eccentric, dying, old billionaire or millionaire. He has a lot of money. It's 1970, so I don't know. Whatever a lot of money was back in 1970. Sure. <laughs> he has offered a party of four people, um, 100000 bucks each, to go into Heck House, the old Belasco place. Okay. And discovered conclusively what the deal with the house is like whether it's haunted or not and and they're tra- he's trying to do it in a way that's like repeatable and will hold up to scientific scrutiny so are these people qualified or he just needs people in there to observe so they've got they've got a mix of qualifications okay that, that comes back in a big way later on in the book so you got uh, Dr. Lionel Barrett who is a physicist with an interest in parapsychology. Sure. Um, so he's the science boy. He is like, I'm going to explain with charts and graphs <laughs> how ghosts work and how to get rid of them. Okay. Okay. And I got all the answers. Don't worry about it. this. Is my this is a culmination of my life's work, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get through it. He does it's believe be that great. ghosts are real, though. He's not just like I'm gonna he, clear this place of. He believes bad that, Wi-Fi. That there is like paranormal stuff. Great. Okay. But he doesn't believe in ghosts with like ghosts in the sense that a living person has died and some like remnant of their personality drifts through the halls of this place haunting it okay so that's Um, lionel barrett so yeah it's a it's a um delicate distinction but it's very important to understanding i guess some of the differences of opinion between some of these characters so his wife edith has come with him not because she knows anything about ghosts but because apparently she just goes completely off the rails into a deep dark depression whenever she's not around him or around her husband for long enough which she should give you some just like early just like an early warning little flashing yellow light about this book and women. Okay. Okay. It's going to become a thing. It's okay. Be great. Um, and then you've got two different mediums who are coming coming with them. There's a Florence Tanner who is a spiritualist who like speaks with the dead, or so mm-hmm. she says. And then there's Benjamin Franklin Fisher, who is a physical medium, which means like actually moving stuff around and doing doing things that are tangible, like and, like moving furniture. 
like yeah, helping. like stuff like that, or interacting with with the dead in a way that like raises a likeness of them or like manipulates objects or something in some way. Oh, okay, I see. And his one of his claims to fame is so it's 1970, right? These these three folks are going in a heck house. They're gonna try and figure it out. But they are the third expedition to go into heck house since the owner, um, the Belasco guy. Um, mysteriously died in like 1929. So there was a an effort in the 30s sometime, I want to say 37, and then another one in 1940, and Fisher is the only person who survived either. Everyone else either died directly like in the house or went insane and died, you know, off-site later. And have the have the has law enforcement <laughs> been involved like when people die in a haunted house and most of these stories, I don't think anyone ever calls the cops. Like, and no, the just... cops and the cops are not a factor in here. Like, <laughs> okay. Nobody talks to the cops about this. Okay, presumably because nobody would believe them. Yeah, but... that's always the that's always the rub. Because sure. the deal, like it's it's not like somebody pops up out of the floor and like, hey, I'm a ghost. I'm gonna like strangle you, strangle you with my ghost hands. It's more a psychological thing where, like, you end up being murdered by somebody else or killing yourself because of the effects of the haunting. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. So this old guy is going to give them a hundred thousand fat ones. If they can conclusively prove one way or the other about the ghost in this house, but they have to wrap up their work within a week. What? Uh, yeah. I'm the time limit seems sort of artificial, but he is a very sick man. So he doesn't want to mess around. And uh, <laughs> Dr. Barrett, who is the the leader of this expedition, is like, well, I absolutely have this figured out, and I have a big machine that I'm going to set up that's going to get rid of all the ghosts, so like, I don't need any more time than that. So, I mean, my they decide to just go all in and all live in the house the entire time, which... I guess if you're coming at it from a medium's point of view and you want to like commune with the house and you want to feel the effects of the stuff that's in the house, that makes sense. But if you're a man of science whose main objective is to set up your giant radioactive ghost busting machine in the living room and then bust all the ghosts with it when it's done, (laughs) I don't understand why you wouldn't go to the Holiday Inn Express and stay there at night. I don't know. Instead of being in Heck House the entire time. I've seen the footage of like the dudes on planet Earth who like who like hide in a bush for 18 hours so that they can get the good photo of a bird. So Mm -hmm. like maybe it's like that. (laughs) Like maybe he he just can't bear to be away. Well, he's he's collecting other data like from the from the medium. So there's this whole sequence where they have like this sitting and they sit in the room while like it gets super cold and like fog drifts in and like these weird snaky snot tentacles like come out of Florence's face and they form themselves into a ghost who talks to them. Yes. And that stuff actually happens. He's like, he directs Florence to like leave a section of the, ghost slime ectoplasm stuff like in a bowl so they can look at it later and she does and it's just like just the ghost slime this is so that exists in the metal. world you could take it and show it to your dad or to a policeman <laughs> or something so wait and so the rich guy has been on the, he was on one of the expeditions but he, he was not he was not on one of the expeditions his interest in this house I'm not 100% sure on what it is unless, like, it's the most, it's just, like, the world's most haunted house. It's okay. the Mount Everest oh, sure. of haunted houses, okay, as it's referred to a couple times in the book. So maybe he's just, you know, I'm old, I'm rich, I'm dying, I want to know about this haunted house because, like, it's like Jeff Bezos shooting rockets into space. It's like, like I, I literally don't know how to spend this money, so I'm going to spend it on space. That is an untapped element of our current, like, technocrat uh society that we're living like why aren't all of these rich tool bags <laughs> trying like, to like pr- find that find proof that god exists yeah, or something why is like it something only, more spiritual why is it only like c-list sitcom actors that get ghost hunting shows rather than like your That's elon true. musks why is world? it gotta be like conspiracy theory with jesse ventura why couldn't it be 
conspiracy theory with Bill Gates, yeah. with Bill and Melinda Gates. I would watch Bill Gates' ghost Like, I don't show. want to take money away from the malaria stuff, but I feel like they could do the malaria stuff and also haunted house stuff. I would pay, like, five extra dollars for Windows to know that I, he was going to go ghost hunting yeah. with it. I would subscribe to CBS All Access to watch Steve Ballmer do a haunted house show. Oh, man. <laughs> So I also like before we get deep into the haunting elements of it, like what are the character relationships? We've got a married couple and the two media. Like how do they relate to one another? D- does he like have no tolerance for them? He seems like he's like into their stuff for the he's, data. Like he he admits that they can do things, but he just thinks that the root cause of, of what they can do is different from, from them. So like he thinks it's all about like energy and measurable stuff. And they think it's like, you know, dead people. People. It's like literally someone who was in this house who died. Sure. Um, and so he regards what they do with a certain like condescending attitude that, even if you weren't in a haunted house that was like amping up all of your tensions, I'm pretty sure you would find insulting. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they are one in the, well, mostly Florence. So, so Fisher is being cautious to the point of inaction and just like not really doing anything for most of the time until you get toward the end of the book. Um, but yeah, Florence feels condescended to, and there is a there is an atmosphere of mutual distrust that starts tearing the group apart pretty early. Cool. Um, we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and where that's coming from with respect to the house. But yeah, it's definitely like they don't all know each other beforehand. So it, it, and then with Doctor Barrett and his wife, he had polio mm. as a kid, and so he is like he has mobility issues and, um sex issues okay and so she is like she loves him but she also like she the portrait of her that you get is one of kind of a sexually repressed and frustrated woman who also has some like sexual abuse in her past and so there's just a lot of stuff going on okay okay um so it's not like they are united cleanly against no, 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 no. New it's people. not definitely not like a Scooby Doo situation where they're <laughs> an established team of ghost hunters sure. coming yes. into the Mount Everest of haunted houses. <laughs> okay. Like the the old guy who's paying them to do this is kind of insisted that Barrett bring them along and so he is doing it. Oh, kind of like a Jurassic Park scenario. Like you need to bring the Ian Malcolm with you even if you don't believe in his nonsense. You need sure. to bring the lawyer with you, even if you know he's just going to get eaten on that toilet. Dino DNA. Yeah, that whole business. Okay. That one? So what is the first like haunting that happens? Is it the snot nose thing? Is it something else? Yeah, there's the snot thing. So <laughs> what ends up like, so you, the reader, and, and and you can tell me if I'm wrong about, about Hill House, because I didn't read it, but in Hill House, my, like there are, Definitely things that are kind of happening in the corner of everyone's eye the whole time, and then someone dies at the end. But to my understanding, there there is left some ambiguity about, like, is it ghosts? Is it, like, mental health issues? Is it some combination of, of both? Like, what there, there is a... There's a lot of correlation between spooky stuff happening in this house, but, like, nobody has, like, taken a picture of the ghosts, like on the toilet or yeah and it's not like a like (laughs) yes i guess i guess the burden of proof would be to just catch the ghost unawares yeah we know this ghost always uses the toilet at 11 53 in the guest room um yeah so there's it for what i recall in hill house the main character eleanor um has some mental health issues and also uh, may or may not have some like psychic powers or something, and they might they are probably related. And over the course of the book, you are like, she is claiming to be possessed by the house, basically. But you you don't know if it's kind of self fulfilling, where like just the fact that it is a spooky house means that then she like internalizes that it's a spooky house, and then bad stuff happens. Um, Whereas it sounds like in this scenario, it is like literally scientifically a spooked house. 
Yeah, so so it is, but it also has aspects of, of what you're talking the about. So the deal okay. with Florence is that she becomes convinced pretty early on that the house is also like the the house displays apparently all the symptoms of a multiple haunting. All the symptoms in the, in the parlance of of like mediums. So like sure. a lot of ghosts, a lot of bad stuff going on. And let me just tell you like why the house is is haunted or just like what what the house's deal was yeah sure it was a working house so this guy emmerich belasco is a is a you know he builds a big old house (laughs) sure in a spooky place but and he has a bunch of parties um and initially he was a perfect host sophisticated charming um then uh, he raises right. Th- this is me reading from the book. Then he raises right hand, thumb, and index finger, almost touching. In 1920, um, Un Pew, as he referred to it, a Susan of debasement. <laughs> the introduction, bit by bit, of open sensuality. Ooh. First in talk, then in action. Gossip, court intrigues, aristocratic machinations, flowing wine and bedroom hopping. All of it influenced, all of it induced by Belasco and his influences. Um, still, it wasn't exclusively sex. The principle of excess was applied to every phase of life here. Dining became gluttony, drinking turned to drunkenness, drug addiction mounted. And as the physical spectrum of his guests was perverted, so too was their mental. Um, people stayed here months, then years. The house became their way of life, a way of life that grew a little more insane each day. Isolated from the contrast of normal society, the society in this house became the norm. Total self-indulgence became the norm. Debauchery became the norm. Brutality and carnage soon became the norm. After a while, Belasco got so tired of having only eager sinners in his house, he started to travel around to the world, travel around the world, enlisting young creative people for a visit to his artistic retreat to write or compose, paint or meditate. Once he got him here, of course, he gestured influences. The most vile of evils, Florence said, corruption of the innocent. Huh. Um, and then one of his favorite hobbies was destroying women, being so tall and imposing, so magnetic, he could make them fall in love with him at will. Then when they were in the deepest throes of adoration, he dumped them. He did it to his own sister, the same one he'd assaulted. She was his mistress for a year. After he rejected her, she became a drug addict and the leading lady of his little theater company. She died here of an overdose of heroin in 1923. So there just a lot of debauchery, a lot of excess, a lot of especially like sex-focused stuff. And then he dies in uh, 29, I want to say, um, and but nobody ever finds the body. Have you ever heard of uh, Alistair Crowley, Andrew? Have you ever heard that yes. name? Yes. So yeah. he's like that. I don't remember what from. Yeah, he's an English occultist that uh, lived from 75 to the 40s. So I looked him up because his name came up as a possible influence or inspiration for Belasco. He like mm-hmm. was an occultist who practiced magic with a K at the end, so you know it's dope. Yeah, so you know it's <laughs> well, you know it's dark. Yeah. Like you never <laughs> you only get magic with a K after the adjective dark. It's yes. never like fun magics. Uh he created his own religion. Helpful magics. Yeah, he created his own religion based on a prose poem he wrote called The Book of the Law. Which, in summary, says, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So, like, full on. Get into kind of a L. Ron Hubbard sort of. Yeah, but like a. Inventing a, his own religion. Yeah, and like a sexy, a sexy Satanist hedonist religion, I think. And there was lots of drugs and, um, as you said, open sensuality. And then someone died uh probably during one of his rituals and then he kind of took on this reputation as like a corrupter of people um he's referenced apparently on the sergeant peppers album cover Hmm. and jimmy page bought one of his houses and there's an osborne there's an ozzy osborne song about him now is this like when nick cage bought that haunted house in new orleans and it ruined his career yeah it's kind (laughs) of like that um so yeah this kind of I've heard about him before, so I was interested to find it, uh, you know, linked to this book and this type of character, this type of like eccentric, rich sex magician uh, who just falls into like a Faustian bargain. Man, yeah. Of ruining people. I'm the, I will be the first one to complain about the puritanic goldness Mm -hmm. of certain branches of Christianity including the one that I was brought up with. But I don't understand why every sexy religion also has to be Satanist. Like, why can we not 
can we not that's have true. like a that's fun true. like sex positive religion that is not also about Satan and like death cults well, and drugs and, like, and stuff? Maybe, can we find somewhere in between the two? Maybe it's still full of magic, but it's good magic. Like mm-hmm. it's not evil magic. That would be right. cool. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the devil's number being six, six never mind. I'm just, just like benign magic. Just like every time you go to get ice cubes out of the ice cube tray, there's it's always full. That's good magic. Or like every time you open the the silverware drawer, get a fork. Like there's always forks in there. You don't need to like root around in the dishwasher and clean one fork. Where do all the other forks go? It's, it's, it's magic. Sometimes. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Like every house, I think has a has a type of dish that gets dirtied more rapidly than That's the other kinds true. of dishes. That's true. All of the houses happening. I've lived in, it's glasses. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. uh-huh. So, <laughs> so this this sex man, this uh, evil Satan sex man, had this evil house. Evil Satan sex man, yeah. And now all these people are trying to get to the bottom of his hauntings, of his mysterious spooky hauntings. And so I get what what do you want to do? Because so, like I said, a lot of the book is punting explanations of things until later in the book. And also that infuriating like 90s sitcom thing where like if all the characters would just talk to each other for two seconds about their misunderstanding, (laughs) they would suddenly they would suddenly overcome their problem. Yeah, that's that's interesting to find that in a horror. I mean, that's actually works really well in horror, right? I'm just thinking cuz I mean, like it works, it, I don't know why I went right to 90 sitcom. It's a pretty common contrivance I think a lot of fiction is like yeah. if every character if every character knew everything, then there would be no like tension and no conflict and no whatever. But sometimes it's it's a organic little organic and yeah. yeah and forgivable and sometimes it's like okay well this I'm like I gotta finish this book sometime so can we <laughs> just like get on with it a little bit well so what give me some examples of some of the supernatural stuff that happens I want to know what it what is spooky about this house so okay the, so there there are a few different things and this is where we're going to talk maybe a little bit about some of the um, specific sexual violence okay okay um maybe skip ahead a few minutes if um if you want to listen to the episode but you don't care to to hear about that stuff so um there's a there's an episode like i said earlier on where they have this like seance hearing thing and all this like ectoplasm comes out of florence and forms itself into what else a native american who speaks stereotypically about being a spirit guide to the other world and blah 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 um, there is a scene where Florence and um, and Dr. Barrett are arguing about their different points of view, and suddenly just all the furniture goes wacko and starts flying around and hurting people. Okay. Um, there is a scene, they have a cat in there, and I think the cat is kind of an occult canary in a coal mine. <laughs> sure. Where you're just waiting for the animal to be sensitive to things before you notice them. Yes. Oh, so the cat yeah. goes wild and like seriously injures Florence because when you think about it, a cat is mostly points. Yes, a cat is a cat mostly, is mostly points. It's a bag with knives on the end. Yeah, and they it doesn't dig them into you most of the time because they're domesticated and you feed them and stuff. And so that's the agreement you've come to is like, you feed me and I won't gore you. Well, (laughs) you feed me and keep me away from ghosts and I will not gore you. Right. And I do a pretty good job of that with my cat. Usually, usually Um, there is. So so, um, like I had mentioned, Dr. Barrett has some mobility issues. And so he uses, you know, he swims laps. He uses a steam room to kind of relieve some of the symptoms. And because this house is huge and palatial, they have like the old rich guy set some of that stuff up for him. I was going to say, that's pretty good Airbnb. Ahead of time. Yeah, no, it's like, (laughs) it's pretty good. But um, so Dr. Barrett is in the steam room when his normally reserved wife, who has taken to drinking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, comes in and tries to have sex with him and then leaves when she is rebuffed and the door is stuck. And then he's just like stuck in there with some like hot sticky goo that almost gets him. And that's the first thing that sort of shakes his confidence and his own abilities. And and that's, it's, it's around that point where things start to go like that point. Plus the cat attack are the sections of the book books where things start to go downhill 
Okay. Like more precipitously. Yeah, where the um, professor ha- can't hide behind his coat anymore is kind of what yeah, it feels and then like. There, I, think, I feel like there's always that point of any haunted house book where it's like, oh, you know, spooky stuff's happening, spooky stuff's happening, and then you get to a point of deterioration. Yes, yes. Where things just, where things go downhill until you get to your conclusion. Yeah. Um. So those are some of the supernatural things that happen. So what, what ends up happening more specifically is Florence becomes convinced that you know, she, she is there to help free the ghosts so they can, like, move on, which is a pretty typical view of how ghosts work. And not, and, and definitely not what the scientist is there to do. Right. Yeah. And she has convinced herself that um, Belasco had a son named Daniel who was, like, roped into the excesses of the house but never wanted to be there mm. and wants to be freed. And so she starts finding... Like initially when they're telling the story of the house, there's like a rumor that maybe he had a son, but nobody really knows. And so she sort of latches onto this and he becomes this this guy who, yeah, who is like very handsome and shy and, and needs to be saved and like plays on her sympathies. And she finds evidence of, of him existing. And Dr. Barrett is like, well the house is just like giving you evidence because it's what you're looking for. Like it's, it's confirming your priors and (laughs) also trying to like drive a wedge in between us and making us disagree. And she like doubts that for a little while, but then she goes into this chapel, which is a weird, like because this is a debauched sex house, it's a sexy chapel. Um, it looks like a chapel. She started to say, breaking off in shock as she saw that the figure of Jesus was naked, an enormous phallus jutting upward from between the legs. Whoa. And I just wrote in a note, boner Jesus. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> boner Jesus leads her to the like this the Bible on the altar in the chapel. And there's like in the birth section, there's evidence that. Daniel Belasco was born in like 1903 or something. And this, I, I guess it's the, the supernaturalness of the house working her, on her, but she's like, she's been told that she is creating evidence to back up this thing that she wants to believe. And then she doubts that, but then she goes off on her own and finds more evidence of this thing she wants to believe. And then she's like, well, that extinguishes all doubt from my mind. Yes. Definitely. This piece of evidence is different from all the evidence that I found under similar <laughs> circumstances <laughs> to date. Okay. That's um, that all tracks. Um, is there, so while she's, she's doing this and like getting more and more obsessed with this, this Daniel Belasco. Dang character. Daniel. Uh, yeah. Dang Daniel. We're in heck house. Um, the doctor is attempting to build this giant, like ghost busting machine. Heck yeah. And it's like big and it's complicated, but his, the, the, the Matheson's descriptions of it, just are, exist to make it sound so complicated that they need to hang out in the house for four or five days, so like so like stuff can happen to them. That seems like that before they extinguish the ghost. That seems like he should have gotten more than a week to be there. Then, like if he needs, it five feels like he days. should have had an advanced team. Like, can't you get, can't you get the people from from Raymore and Flanagan to come and assemble this furniture well, on site for this, you? This like, is it's, what it's like not... graduate assistants are for. Like, yeah. if you have a, if you are a respected scientist and you have like a teaching position somewhere. Well, part of part of the ish is that is he not this, a respected scientist? Well, this this brand, this particular branch of science, like he is working to make it respected. Oh, well, yeah, okay. It's, it's not respected because it's not seen as like evidence based, and what he is trying to do is establish firm cause and effect and a way to get rid of it and in so doing you know he'll he'll, he'll make get all that funding get all that dod funding yeah that sweet sweet ghost funding yeah that ghost grant funding sure um and so all the funding that's currently being devoted to faking climate science yes <laughs> so course. when things go bad we you know we talked about that kind of like point of no return what happens that is that like after the machine is finished is that as the machine is finished so it's, it's just like a lot of stuff happening like as this like right before the machine is finished the ghost what florence believes to be the ghost of daniel belasco is like is begging her for something that okay. you're not told about okay and it's like this is the only 
you know, it's the only way I can get out of the house. Please, 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 because I need to get out of the house and this is the only way. And she's like, fine. It goes against everything that I believe as like, a, you know, as a, I guess she's not, she's not quite a nun. She's more of a, like a minister, mm. I guess, who also like does the ghost stuff on the side. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so she's like, yeah, this goes against everything, but okay, fine. And so the house like the ghost has sex with her and like possesses her whoa and that's her point of no return at all it's like she's not fully in control of her own body at that point dang daniel she's horrified and it also is made i'm not sure if she understands this but it's made clear to you the reader that definitely there is not some like David Boreana's sensitive good ghost in here who's waiting to be freed. It yeah. was just the house doing whatever it needed to do to like break down her defenses and, and, and possess it, her. Is there a is there a whiff of <clears throat> this may or may not be that specific ghost? It's just a evil or is it Yeah, it's okay. an evil thing. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. an evil thing. And 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 you get some hints of that earlier is that that she is being kind of duped and and she is She's sort of powerless to resist it because she just keeps inviting building it, it up yeah. in her own mind. And yeah, and it again is what like it's it's what she wants to find is like a sensitive, sort of wronged spirit that she can set free from this house's evil influence. Okay. Um What happened to that guy who's supposed to like Fisher? Yeah. <laughs> his main thing doesn't happen till later. Like mostly he exists for Edith to try and have sex with cool (laughs) sure at this point um so yeah florence has sex with this ghost and then she's just like mostly donezo and so fisher's like hey i'm gonna i gotta get you out of here or things are gonna go bad and so at this point they all sit down around the table and finally finally like 75 percent of the way through the book dr barrett can be bothered to explain what this machine is and what it's supposed to do so let me explain to you the scientific view of hauntings and of ghosts according to Heck House by Richard Matheson. Well, according um, to Dr. Lionel Barrett specifically. Well, sure. Yes. Sure. Um, electromagnetic radiation, EMR, is the answer then. He said, all living organisms emit this energy. It's dynamo, the mind. <laughs> the electromagnetic field around the human body behaves precisely as do all such fields spiraling around its center of force, the electric and magnetic impulses acting at right angles to each other and so on. Such a field must impinge itself on its surroundings. In extremes of emotion, the field grows stronger in pressing itself on its environment with more force, a force which, if contained, persists in that environment, undischarged, saturating it, disturbing organisms sensitive to it, psychics, dogs, cats, in brief, establishing a haunted atmosphere. Is it any wonder, then, that Heck House is the way it is? Consider the years of violently emotional, destructive, evil, if you will, radiations which have impregnated its interior. Consider the veritable storehouse of noxious power this house became. Heck House is, in essence, a giant battery, the toxic power of which must inevitably be tapped by those who enter it, either intentionally or involuntarily, by you, Miss Tanner, by you, Mr. Fisher, by my wife, by my wife, by myself. All of us have been victimized by these poisonous accumulations. You, most of all, Miss Tanner, because you actively sought them out, unconsciously seeking to utilize them to prove your personal interpretation of the haunting force. Um, so it's like the secret. Well, so he's saying like you, the like humans, put off energy, and if you get like enough of it and it's strong enough, then it can soak into the the carpet and. <laughs> And then it plays off of the energy of other people who come in and it it creates the impression of a haunting. So he is not saying that the uh, that it's like a burial ground with ghosts. He's saying that I got one more. um, Oh, yeah. The last like summing up thing. The spirit of Emmerich Belasco does not prowl this house. Neither does that of his son or any of the so-called entities you have believed yourself in contact with. There is one thing in this house and one thing only mindless, directionless power. So it's still a result of Belasco, but it is not his spirit. It is a result of all the him. stuff that happened there, right? Like if you and if you find him, it's because you have kind of conjured that up with your own mind. Which, I, like, as a as a description of 
why haunting would happen and why it so often seems to play on like specific weaknesses or like things that have happened to you as a person like that. I I don't know. I don't don't mind that as a, as a explanation of what haunting is. I kind of, I kind of vibe too with the idea that it's like, it's spawned out of this concentrated, uh, dose of, bad actions of like people doing bad stuff to each other doing all sorts of drugs and satan stuff Uh again still looking for that sex positive religion but not here um and this week not this week (laughs) we'll we'll get it one of these times (laughs) but that like all of those actions have a consequence which is this concentrated force of malignance and and as you said power that could then like exert itself over other that's kind of neat I think it also like splits the uprights between haunting is all in your head and haunting is a tangible actual thing. Like yeah. it, it is in it, it's both. Like it's in your head, but it also is a is a thing that we can we can try and control or get rid it of. It is so not his, the literal ghost of a child. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the energy of that dead child. child <laughs> yeah. That's lingering in the house sure okay and it doesn't matter that it where it came from it just matters that it's energy now okay okay um and so his you know his his solution he's building this big machine that's basically going to discharge this battery of ghost power <laughs> Sweet. if that's how you want to think about Some it sort of ghost emp or something yeah <laughs> okay i bought yeah sure why not yeah, so he's got a ghost DMP, like in the Matrix. Yeah, which is the main thing that I know EMPs from. Uh, Ocean's Eleven also. Is oh they yeah, have they did EMP. have an EMP. That's yeah. true. But I think Matrix did it first. <laughs> they popularized <laughs> popularized EMPs as a cinematic narrative device. Okay. <laughs> does it happen? Does he do it? He does do it. So he does it. Florence, well, Florence gets killed. Wait. <laughs> because she's she's possessed by this ghost, and she goes into the chapel, and she's like, I'm, I'm so close. I'm going to get, I'm going to get this. I'm going to figure it out. And the ghost keeps trying to possess her, and she keeps, like, biting her hand so hard that it draws blood because, like, pain seems to drive away the possession. Okay. And then, in the end, like, the ghost is like, hey, I punked you. And now I'm going to tell you like the true secret of the ghost stuff because you're going to die and you can't tell anybody. About cool. It. So okay. she, she dies. She's dead in the chapel. Then they run the ghost, the ghost machine, the ghost busting machine. Mm-hmm. And it seems like everything's good. Like Fisher runs from room to room and he can't sense anything in any of the rooms. And so he takes Florence's body. He's going to drive it somewhere like to the morgue i guess to the cops <laughs> and uh barrett and his wife are like man that was a rough week but you know it's not this house isn't haunted anymore so we're just gonna like hang out and i mean also so this is a this is something that happens that really has no impact on the story at all is like on day four or five the old rich man dies and his son, who didn't believe in any of this ghost malarkey, like isn't going to give them the money. So there's not like a financial incentive for them to be there or do anything anymore. It affects the story not one bit, even a little bit at all. Like not even a little tiny bit. <sighs> Unless the point is to just like make you believe how dedicated Dr. Barrett is to this whole yeah, nonsense. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Because um, he was kind of... But I mean, but yeah. none of the characters to this point have been drawn super well. Sure. It's more and about the spook. It's a, not about them. Yeah, they they are there to pres- to um represent different viewpoints but not really to be characters who okay. you super care about. Okay. Um but hey, it turns out punks you again. I'm not dead. I'm still here. So this ghost like kills Dr. Barrett. Like he separates Dr. Barrett and Edith and he first like trolls Dr. Barrett by like making all of his instruments go haywire. And Dr. Barrett's like, no, 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 I fixed it. I did it. I figured out ghosts. I solved ghosts. And the house is like, well, if you solve ghosts, then how can I make all your instruments explode in your face and then drown you in the lake in the yard? 
yeah how how can i do that so, said the ghost um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then edith is is like th- this part uh, something that looks like her husband is first tries to to assault her okay because there's been you know there's been a whole runner about like oh we'll talk about our sex life when we get home dear from heck house mm, okay. that's gonna happen okay um so they like the ghost tries to tries to get with her like it did with Florence earlier and then it becomes like this grotesque thing and she's like uh-oh where's my husband uh-oh it's still haunted huh oh no this sucks and she is like driven mad and almost hurls herself in front of this lake like into this lake and but Fisher like he got some premonition that he needs to get back to heck house as soon as he can and so he drives super fast and he manages to save her and then they're like well let's go back in again because we need to get Dr. Barrett's stuff no and maybe and Fisher's like man I've been hanging back this whole time but put me in coach I think I can figure out the ghost the ghost problem God. and so okay so in the end he does solve the ghost problem. So Fisher and, and Edith both survived this this ordeal. Um, they encountered, finally, at long last, the ghost of Emmerich Belasco. Whoa. But they have worked out through talking to each other and considering the circumstances of Florence's and of Dr. Barrett's death that it's all about the ghost's ego. Like, that's a big component of huh. what what it does and how it acts. Like, it didn't just kill Dr. Barrett. It showed him that his life's work had been pointless, and then it killed him. So, okay. So okay. it's all about, again, it's all about, like, punking people and showing them <laughs> this that... Ashton Kutcher ghost. It's, uh, this Ashton Kutcher <laughs> joke, ghost is all about punking people and telling them that they're a bunch of jabronis, and then... <laughs> And then killing them. <laughs> okay. And and then, yeah, and so uh, Fisher, like, taunts the ghost and says it's dumb and he's a freak. And the ghost, like, diminishes and just, like, disappears. He and insults then, the ghost to death, too? He insults the ghost to death. And then he goes down and they finally find the body of Emmerich Belasco. And he was a very short man and so he like cut off his legs and gave himself longer legs and he didn't want anybody uh, to know because he's such an egomaniac. Uh, but also his tomb, the little room that his body is in, is encased in lead and so maybe the ghost busting machine didn't work because the, the body was protected. So it's a thing where like... Maybe it was a real again, ghost. Again, like both explanations for ghosts like kind of work still because it clearly is the malevolent force of this one dude, but also it's a big ghost, a big nasty ghost battery that you can discharge with the right equipment. Cut to a shot of Richard Matheson holding a cake and shoving cake into his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's heck house. Now you keep, um, now you read a segment. I do want to point out you read a segment earlier where they literally say the title of the, so they are referring to this house as Hell House or Heck House. Yeah, they're saying the they're saying it's Hell House like a lot because it's just cool. called Hell House in the in the book. Okay, okay, that's neat. I like that. So here's the thing about this book that sucks, and I mentioned mm. earlier that I read some different like indie reviews, and there's a pretty clear split between the dudes who reviewed it. And the women who reviewed it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, the dudes who reviewed it were like, they were either like, oh, this is like fine. This is pretty good. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't like, it's obviously not like Matson's best or most noteworthy work, but it, but I had a good time. Or like it was trite for X, Y, and Z reason. Sure. You know, whatever. But the um, women who reviewed it, and the, the one in particular I wanted to, to read is from a blog called The Petulant Muse. Okay. Um, and the, the title of this is Hell is for Women, a review of Hell House by Richard Matheson. Uh, Matheson played with these women like a cat with a mouse throughout the entire story, sexualizing them in every way, writing them to be weakened by their ability to love and sympathize, while the men 
could block that off and see everything clearly. Those poor closet lesbians slash sexually frustrated love-starred women always getting into trouble. I really hate that. As it is, Edith and Florence were the only two characters who actually did anything, the only two who braved the hell of the Belasco house, and they managed to do it with plump breasts and curvy hips. Now that is something to talk about. Hmm. Hmm. And so that's, there is a, there is a lot of, stuff between like edith and florence where edith is just like she's sexually repressed and so the house is like bringing that to the fore and so she just is up for whatever with whoever (laughs) okay and so that is that is parlayed into several very like 70s e yes sure scenes where like what if these women made out yeah okay. okay okay and Edith being like, no, I'm not that way. I'm not, I never wanted to be that way. And it's, it's not. Im- <sighs> That's if walking a fine be, line. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to be the most charitable you could possibly be, it would be about like Edith and her personal, like homophobia and relationship to her own sexuality. Cause the book does talk a little bit about how it's just like something that she has not wanted like from her husband mostly. Yes, yes. Or at least something that she thinks she hasn't wanted. Yeah, okay. But yeah, just like Florence dies some horrible death where once again she is, you know, raped by this house. Yeah, yeah. And bloodied and left and left for dead and Edith is just like sent all the way through the ringer like continually being rejected and also like feeling this deep sense of shame about anything that she could possibly want from anyone. And yeah, like that just, I don't think that Matheson deserves the benefit of the doubt on that because like I said, these characters are not super well drawn. So it just seems, it just ends up seeming like, Hey, you just want to like punish these women and they're around to be like arm candy or kind of condescended to while these men do everything. Sure. Sure. And not and, not that like the uh, men aren't punished in a horror story way either, but it's yeah, definitely but it's distinctively different. like yeah. all of the all of the stuff that's happening to the women is like distinctly sexual. Sure, yes, okay. Like the cat is like biting her like Florence's breasts, or yeah, you know, okay. Then, okay, or or even when it's not like veering into open assault or like titillation or whatever. It's it's everything that happens to the women is sexualized and horrible and like viewed through that prism. Mm-hmm. And even like when the house gets Florence, it gets her by like basically begging her until she has sex, which is quite a vibe. Whereas the bear, whereas um, the the doctor stuff is like his his accomplishments have gone right. wrong. Yes. Yeah, right, okay. exactly. Sure. <laughs> so that was my main ish, and I and I didn't talk about it a lot, but it is a pretty big chunk of the book. Sure. Okay. Um. So like. So yeah, like as as sort of intrigued as I was by the like the attempt at a scientific explanation of what haunting was and like some of the action sequences are are well done and very like kinetic and engaging yeah just like as a whole its vibe is like pretty dated and gross sure sure um in a way that I think is is gonna turn a lot of people off of it so there's there's where I I landed is I I didn't I didn't dislike it but definitely got squicked out by quite a few of the things yeah like there's a reason you don't just go back and read every book from the 70s (laughs) right right exactly all right well thanks for taking me to hell house andrew you're Uh, welcome i i definitely will we're gonna make it out alive we are or are we whoa um if you have made it out of a hell house you the listener and want to tell us your tale uh send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com um, or tell us what you thought about the episode at facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. Uh, a lot of folks were kind enough to reach out to us on social media this past week, uh, both in response to our episode on Hex with uh, Christina and Camille and wishing our little boy Andrew a happy birthday, um, which was recently. So uh, thanks to Yanira, Kelly, Cinna, Natalie, Ellen, Amber, Shelby, Teresa, Barb, Jen, Stephanie, Nora, Anna, Jacqueline, Hillary, Gloria, Sarah, Graham, and many more uh, for hitting us up there. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there, we've got links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. You can subscribe to the show using any of those services and get new episodes when they come out. 
uh, usually on Mondays, but sometimes we release bonus episodes and you'll get those whenever they happen to hit the feed as well. Uh, we've also got a Patreon page at patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can go there to support us financially. And uh, we have recently updated our new listener page with a whole batch of new episodes. Well, I mean, they're old episodes, but if you're <laughs> recommending the show to a friend, we've got, um, I think, a dozen or so new episodes yeah. that we are pretty happy with and think are, are good uh, entry points. Usually I think people just like find a book that they know and dive in that way, but that's, you know, not always the most consistent experience, especially if the book is, is pretty early in our, our run. So yeah. So uh, Craig, we are doing a choose your own adventure bonus episode soon. Yep. On the book Terror on the Titanic. Yep. Look That's for gonna that. Close out, it's going to close out Spooktober. Yep. And then we've got a schedule for November, but I don't think we've nailed down which book is is coming first. So uh, look for that to go up on Facebook, Twitter, and on the website uh, pretty soon. But yeah, it'll be another... Um, we did this last year. I remember November where we break the cardinal rule of the show and read books that we have read before that we just want to talk about with each other. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, okay, everybody, thank you so much for sticking with us, with us through another Spooktober. It's been very spooky. Not quite done yet, but I'm getting ready to put all the decorations away. What about you? Yeah, I'm ready to shove a bunch of candy in my face and and call it a Bullwinkle Month. Done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for hanging out with us for another week, everybody. And until we see you next Monday, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.